got a beard and it's looking something fierce Having beers with my peers and talking rap careers Reflecting on the years, connecting on the tears Shipwreck faith ain't always as appears I'm bringing you fresh music, I'm bringing fresh ideas I'm bringing you the dudes in the indie music beers Chilling at the shows and talking about the pain With people who learned how to face it and be sane Sipping on a brew, doing interviews No topics off the table but we focus on breakthroughs So kick up your feet, we're gonna put it in check You're listening to bruise beards and shipwrecks One, two, one, two, a mic check Stone bands, Royal Ruckus on the scene Just to announce We got the brews, we got the beards Tasty interviews for your ears to hear One, two, one, two, a mic check Stone bands, Royal Ruckus on the scene Just to announce We got the brews, we got the beards Tasty interviews for your ears to hear Welcome to the special edition of Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks. I'm your host, Jamie Bennett, also known as Chun Jay from Royal Ruckus, and I'm here with my friend Nate Larkin. Yeah, hey, boy. Thanks for having <laughs> me on, Jamie. I appreciate you being on. I, You've had me on your podcast probably two or three times, uh-huh. and uh, I really felt like you were doing me a favor, and now I have you on my <laughs> podcast, and I feel like you're doing me a favor. Oh, nah, come on. Come on. <laughs> Well, we are uh, sitting here at the, uh, I can't remember the name of the state park. It's a Henry Horton State Park named for a former governor of the state of Tennessee. I did not know that. Yeah, it's on It's on this, the, the land, uh, his family farm, actually. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's gorgeous. How long ago was he the, the governor? In the 1930s, he was the governor. Okay. And this park was built in the 1960s. Okay. Yeah. Right Why here on the Duck River in Middle Tennessee, about an hour south of Nashville. Okay. I didn't make it down to the river. Yeah. Did you walk down that way? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Took took my on my Silas walk yesterday, walking with another guy. What What was the Silas walk all about? Uh, you know, it's this thing that I found just so uh, helpful and useful in my own life is I go for a one hour walk every day. Okay. With a guy. It's not the same. I don't inflict my guy myself on the same guy every day. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, we rotate, and I've got guys who kind of committed to walk with me. So i got a Monday guy, Tuesday guy, Wednesday guy, Thursday guy. Okay. And so I gave that away here at the weekend, suggested that other guys try it, and we just paired them up and sent them out for an honest conversation. Okay. Yeah. And it was great. Yeah. What, what do you get from that, or what, are, what, are, what do you guys get from that when you do your daily walks? Well, for me, uh, because, I mean, these are guys that I'm friends with, uh, and we have mutually agreed that it's going to be a no-bullshit conversation. All right. doesn't mean it's always dark and morbid, but there's really nothing that off, that's off-limits. And here's a place for me at the very—I do it the morning and uh, walk in the morning. Yeah. It's a way for me to kind of talk out loud uh, a little bit of a reconstruction of the day before, talk about where I am, where my thinking is, where my heart is. I can talk a lot about my— my fear or whatever and what I found is that if I lead with um, questions rather than answers yeah, uh, with weakness rather than strength that kind of opens the door to the guy I'm walking with sure to kind of uh, talk about what he's wrestling with too yeah so if I lead with weakness we can both kind of talk about where we are and it's strange that in those conversations very often the clarity I'm looking for shows up or the answer, the question I haven't thought to ask gets asked. Or the thing that I have forgotten, I'm reminded of. Right. Uh, because I've got long-term relationships with these guys. One guy I've been walking with for eight years, uh, other guys with five or two. So, yeah. so they've been around the block with me before. Sure. And it's interesting, 
because I have a tendency to walk in circles anyway, unless I'm, uh, you know, when I'm by myself. We all do that. You know, yeah. if you're lost in the woods, you're going to walk in circles. Yeah. Your only hope of walking in straight lines is to is to uh, get somebody to walk with you and then some kind of a reference point to follow. Yeah. Um, you know, so these guys, so, uh, occasionally a guy will go, yeah, this is a familiar conversation. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> what do we have to do different in order for this conversation to change? Mm, yeah. Yeah, I, so, as you know, I, I've been Orthodox now since, like, 2009. We, yeah. we do confession. Yeah. Uh, and our, our confession is face-to-face yeah. with, with the priest. So there's a lot of overlap, but I feel like every time I go to confession, like... I didn't just have a photocopy uh-huh. and then a little checkbox and be like, here's the same shit, different day, you know? Yeah. And, and it's funny because I, I always worry that, like, my priest is going to grow tired yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, actually, there's it's a two-way conversation, actually, in, in wow. confession with, uh-huh. in the Orthodox Church. I don't know about how Catholics do it, but mm-hmm. the way we do it is there's feedback. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Sometimes the feedback changes over time, mm-hmm. right? But oftentimes the conversation is familiar. Mm-hmm. Now, I was thinking back to uh, when we we first met. I think I went to your public speaking class. Oh, wow. Yeah. This was a long time ago. A long time I didn't know ago, yeah. anything about Sam's Society. Your book hadn't been written yet. Yeah. I had just heard from... I was teaching. Uh-huh. I can't remember if I was working in... I think I was working in preschool at the time. Uh-huh. That was before I even started working in elementary. And some of my fellow teachers were like, hey, this, this guy, yeah. you got to hear him speak. And he's actually teaching a class, and it's going to make us better teachers. But uh, what I remember is once you were on my radar, yeah, I noticed you walking in Franklin. But I don't remember you walking with people back then. Right. But I do remember you sometimes talking to yourself. Yeah, usually I was <laughs> I was working on the next class or the next okay. sermon because I was teaching a class regularly. I, okay. I, I have found that um, people listen better if I compose orally than if I compose mm. on paper. Yeah. Yeah. So back then, I, you would see me walking, talking to myself, coming up <laughs> with the next class. Yeah. Yeah, and you didn't have a Bluetooth in your ear. No, no, so, no, no, no. So you just kind of look crazy. Yeah, yeah, you know? I did. I was nuts. <laughs> And, and that situation has not changed. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. It just looks a little better now that there's somebody walking yeah. beside me. Yeah. Yeah. You, you guys, yeah. you don't look as crazy anymore. <laughs> oh, that's that's great. Usually, so on this podcast, normally we're drinking something. I'm the only one drinking anything right now. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm drinking coffee and water. Yeah. This um, is tragic. Drinking black coffee. It's not okay. the greatest coffee. It's State Park coffee. State Park oh, coffee. Yeah. Um, kind of like gas station coffee. Yeah. It's uh-huh. maybe a notch above. Yeah. Okay. A notch. A notch. Okay. Yeah. But um, how do you like your coffee? Cream. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little. Not bit the cream? powdered shit. Okay. It's got to be real cream. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And not a lot. Okay. Just lighten up a little bit. Yeah, because you. I mean, you're in coffee shops pretty much every day. Uh, yeah. Sure. I, I, every day. Yes. I said. A lot of time at coffee shops. So, so uh, when I lived in Franklin, I remember it was always Nate's morning office was yeah. the Starbucks. Yeah. The afternoon office was <laughs> McCreary's <laughs> Irish pub. <laughs> you usually drink Guinness there, right? Yeah, was, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a Guinness guy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, Although I've branched a lot into craft beer. Okay. Except that McCreary's doesn't carry much in the way of craft beer. So. Right. Yeah. You know, sometimes a rotating tap. Right? Yeah. Right. Um, right. Right. But yeah. And when they get it, and when they get a crappy beer of the month, then you just it's just torture waiting for somebody to finally burn that keg <laughs> so that you can get a decent brew. 
Yeah, I've I've lived that, and and I've <laughs> the, the ones that are really bad. Yeah. At some point, I remember maybe they don't do this anymore, but back when I lived in Franklin, they knock it like a buck off. Yeah, or, right. Yeah. You know, it'd be like two for one all day on this one <laughs> yeah. until it's gone. Yeah. I you know what? I went to a great pub in Pittsburgh a couple years ago. Yeah. And they had probably thirty taps. So it's mostly local brews. Uh, but then they also had, and I think it was for like two bucks. Okay. The mystery tap. Oh, yeah, the mystery tap. And they wouldn't tell you what it was. Yeah. And and uh, the guys who took me said sometimes it's great and sometimes it sucks. <laughs> but of yeah. course, I ordered the mystery tap. Yeah. It happened to be good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, there's a there's a dive bar in Boca that has um, has the mystery tap. It's like really? three bucks. Uh huh. But if you can guess what it is. Uh, they comp the beer. Really? Never been able to guess it. Really? So I don't know if it's a big scam uh, <laughs> or what, but I, you know, I'm constant. Every time I go there, I order the mystery tab. Is it the same every time? I haven't noticed it change that much. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> all right, they're brewing it in the back. <laughs> Could very well be. Uh, one, one of my favorite lines from you. Um, I use this to this day. This was probably 12, 13 years ago. You uh-huh. said this. Um, you had to keep going to the bathroom as we were in the cruise. You had to keep getting up and going pee. <laughs> yeah, and you yeah. said, gentlemen, what we are witnessing here is kidney success and bladder failure. <laughs> and that is a staple for me. Like once I break the seal, yeah, I'm telling like you. the second time I go, <laughs> I say that. Like clockwork. But yeah. anyway, um, so you know, one of the things on this podcast is uh, the idea of, of shipwrecks. Yeah. And I want to get back to some of the stuff we were talking about earlier. Uh-huh. But I think it would be nice if we could hear, you know, a little short version of your story before we segue back yeah. to some of the yeah. Samson stuff. Yeah. Well, gee, I don't know if I can share it. I haven't told anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Brews, beards, and shipwrecks exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> You'll but never believe what Nate Larkin did. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just short version is yeah. that although I was raised in a very devout Christian home, uh, what began as a fairly normal interest in pornography uh, when I was 10, 12 years old and saw my first Playboy, um, over time morphed into uh, an uncontrollable uh, fascination, a compulsion with hardcore pornography, which then took me someplace I never thought I would go. Mm. And after I had entered the ministry, and after I was married, and after I was the father of three kids, uh, I picked up my first streetwalker. Uh, ironically, while on my way to lead a candlelight service on Christmas Eve, mm. and uh, and and from there, uh, I just I just could not control my sexual behavior. Yeah. Not for very. I mean, I quit a hundred times. Sure. I just could never say quit. You know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, tried to deal with it with shame and self-hatred and recrimination, and uh, but always in secret. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, and some of them were practical. Uh, I would have lost immediately. I knew I would lose my job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, pastors uh, don't pick up hookers. Uh, right. They survive. Right. Right. Um, and I would probably lose my family and all that. It was no safe place, no safe place for me to take it. Right. So uh, a few years later, I quit the ministry. Okay. 
because I knew I only had one choice at that point. Either either quit the behavior or quit the ministry, and really I only had one choice because I could not stop the behavior. Yeah. I didn't know why I was doing it. I was doing irrational things for non-rational reasons, yeah. trying to solve the problem by rational means. I could never think my way out mm -hmm. of it. Uh, and I would pray to God to take it away to fix me, always asking Him for a private solution to my private problem. Yeah. And uh, it seems God had no interest mm. in doing that for me. Yeah. Not to say He doesn't have the ability. I've met people who've been, you know, they've asked God in private prayer to be delivered from something, and it's and it's been taken away. Yeah. Uh, apparently, God decided that in my case. Uh, giving me a private solution would not be good for me or for anybody else. Yeah. Probably would have made me into even a bigger asshole than I already was, <laughs> and I wasn't even aware that I was an asshole. Right. I thought my problem was that I couldn't control my sexual behavior. That really was secondary. Mm, yeah. Uh, my biggest problem was that, uh, and remains, by the way, <laughs> okay, that I was an asshole. Um, uh, practiced in false modesty, uh, yeah. uh, but with a lot of pride and a deep desire to be morally self-sufficient, and I was alone. That's what hasn't. I mean, that's what has changed. Yeah. I was alone. I did not know how, and I, I. I felt a lot of shame about this for a long time. It really helped me this weekend. Yeah. Uh, to hear from Jeff Schulte. Yeah. Some more about how uh, I was really striving to meet those basic needs. Uh, to belong and to matter, mm. and to uh, uh, to have my needs met, and I had found an illegitimate and inefficient, inefficient and very temporary way to meet my need for intimacy. Yeah. Uh, either with uh, a, you know a, a phantom, a virtual woman, or with somebody right. I could hire temporarily. Right. But I did not know how to connect emotionally with my wife, with my friends, with my parishioners, with yeah. anybody else. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think, uh, upon reflection, I think that is the greatest uh, danger, the most insidious uh, property of pornography is that it offers me a virtual connection yeah. with an imaginary person or persons, mm, right. which if I accept it right there begins to alter my ability, hinder my ability to form and sustain a real relationship with an actual person. Yeah.
sure made an impact They spend their time together, held hands and interact He ran his fingers through a hair, she smiled back and cuddled more Each other the type of person that they were waiting for Well he likes her so much, she writes her letters every day And he can't get her off his mind when she is away When she's out of town, they read the scriptures on the phone And make plans to someday start a godly home But in the meantime, they seem to get acquainted And worship Jesus Christ in a way untainted He found the right time that he could pop the question She begins to cry, he begins to stress Relief and excitement when she says yes Oh no, okay, they got things in order The flowers, the singer, then they got a sleep disorder Well the wedding went smooth, the night was even better Then the morning snuggled up to read the red letter Now they look out upon a life of true love Serving each other and the Lord up above <clears throat> Excuse me, gotta clear my throat on that thing So yeah, actually after I left the ministry, I went into business, uh, and uh, the behavior just uh, intensified. Yeah. And as best as I can figure out, uh, reconstructing it later, I probably spent three hundred thousand dollars on pornography wow. and prostitutes. Wow. Uh, and really, I mean, the tragic part is that I spent my children's childhood. Mm. And. Uh, 20 years of my wife's life and 20 years of mine going down that road trying to uh, trying to meet a need I didn't recognize yeah yeah, yeah. hey love bo not you shipwreck hey love bo not you shipwreck hey love bo I'm walking in the club like um excuse me not you shipwreck hey love bo not you shipwreck hey love bo not you shipwreck hey love bo I'm walking in the club like so yeah that was the shipwreck yeah uh, and then finally uh at 19 years ago my wife caught me she had known that i had a porn problem she had thought that we had dealt with it successfully yeah uh i had let it, her in on it and i saw, i figured that just the two of us <laughs> Could handle it. <laughs> Nobody else would ever have to know. Yeah, yeah. And didn't, uh, didn't work out. And I didn't realize she was she was willing to accept the assignment, but she wasn't sure. built to handle it. Right. Because she could never be truly objective about right. any sexual desire that I had that didn't include her. It would yeah. always, in her own mind, point to some defect or deficiency on her part, and I could tell. Right. Yeah. that it was killing because that's not a burden she was designed to carry but because sure. I didn't have any friends 
because I didn't have any brothers, I piled the weight of all my missing friendships on her. Mm. And then, uh, you know, complained when she, act, you know, when she acted like a girl. Yeah, well, certainly you, you know, you had friends, right? Like you I knew had, people. Oh, right? I was very well known. I was yeah. the friendliest guy you know. Yeah. Uh, people named their kids after me. Yeah. I mean, they would say, Nate's my best friend. Yeah. But they, I never let them see uh, deep inside. Sure. Always kept them at arm's length. Yeah. So I was always, because I didn't bring my true self into those relationships, mm. I brought the person uh, that I thought they needed or the person they would like. Sure. Um, they had the experience of authentic friendship. I didn't. Yeah. And by the way, um, that held true for my relationship with God. What was missing from my relationship with God all those years was never God, it was me. I always yeah. sent some yeah. religious persona. I, so, I want you to interrupt. <laughs> yeah. I actually meant to invite you up here with us. Put your hands together, put your hands together, put your hands together. Look up from the ground to the sky. Jesus Christ, put his 
Welcome back to Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks. I'm Jamie Bennett, and I'm also known as Chun Jay from Royal Ruckus. I'm here with Nate Larkin and Trey Jones. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the things, Nate, that I've talked about on a few episodes has been the Samson Society. Yeah. And I, I guess I'm gradually defining it for my listeners uh-huh. because I'm just dropping tidbits. But um, this is your chance to <laughs> turn it on like a fire hose. What is the Samson Society and, and how did it come out of your experience? You just kind of laid the groundwork. Yeah. But there's this gap now. So Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I actually, uh, I went to a 12-step group when I finally faced the fact that I had, that I'm an addict, uh, that I was displaying addictive behavior. Yeah. And that was a really good experience for me. Uh, The greatest, uh, I came to recognize that the greatest strength of that 12-step fellowship was the fellowship. Mm. Yeah. And yes, there was also a path to healing that was laid out for me, uh, a path of, uh, you know, acknowledging uh, my character defects and my character strengths and uh, admitting that I I cannot be morally self-sufficient and there are parts of my life that I'm never going to be able to control and I'm going to have to learn to trust something bigger than me. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it helped me, that 12-step experience helped me step more fully into my life uh, without shame. Okay. And that allowed me to have more honest conversations with the guys I was meeting at Starbucks. Yeah. Uh, and uh, come to find out, uh, as I would share my story with guys at Starbucks, uh, what I thought was a unique story turned out to be pretty damn common. <laughs> and even guys, even in guys who aren't sex addicts, most of the guys sure. I've told my story to are not sex addicts. Not, not, not certainly not to the degree I'm. But I've, I've yet to tell my story to a man who, first of all, doesn't respect the power of sex. Right. I, I've ne- never told my story to a guy who, who hasn't done something sexual he's ashamed of. Right. Uh, and whether his his deal is sexual or not, I've never yet met a man who doesn't have something in his life that's bigger than he is. Yeah. And uh, what I found is that when I could tell my story, that made it safe for him to look at me and go, well, you know, I've never told anybody this before. Mm, right. And then he could give me that thing that had just been kicking his ass forever. Right. And what I would say then is I would say, well, if you want, I'll walk with you a while. And I would pass on to him uh, what I have and, you know, we just enter into a conversation. Yeah. Pretty soon I had about a dozen guys who I was in those kind of relationships with. Okay. Uh, the problem with that is that it was all centered around me. I was the center of a thing, and my wife spotted this familiar pattern: mm-hmm. me making myself the center of the universe. <laughs> uh, she knows that yeah. I'm an aspiring messiah, right? And uh, okay, <laughs> and th- and that is not good for her, and it's not good right. for me, and it's not good for us, because yeah. I, you know, I'm just not built to do that. And it was she who first suggested that it would be a good idea for me to get these guys together and let them kind of walk together. Yeah. And, and so that they didn't have, it, it wasn't just the Nate. Right. So right. we formed the Samson Society, which is um, a mutual aid society for Christian men. Okay. I like okay. the description of it. Yeah. It's not a group for sex addicts, although sex addicts are welcome. Addicts of any kind are welcome. Yeah. Uh, our common 
Thread, we got plenty of guys whose number one deal uh, isn't sex. And we have guys who really wouldn't call themselves addicts. But yeah. we are guys who have recognized the dangers of isolation yeah. and are determined to escape them. Yeah. So it's a, it, a Samson Society is a place for honest conversations. Yeah. And those conversations happen in a weekly meeting. And the meetings are great. The meetings are an hour long. And then we have a meeting after the meeting at a pub or someplace else. Uh, but Samson is not about the meetings. It really lives between the meetings in the honest conversations we have from day to day. Yeah. So we encourage each guy to find at least one traveling companion, a guy he's going to stay in regular contact with. Yeah. We call that guy a Silas. And, uh, so, uh, and it takes a tremendous amount of uh, humility actually sanity <laughs> to pick up the phone this is an admission that I cannot run my life on my own and run it well yeah I'm going to do something stupid inevitably right? yeah it takes humility for me to pick up the phone and tell the truth to another guy yeah and, and ask for feedback and uh, it really what I found it doesn't matter that the other guy is also an idiot <laughs> it really doesn't because uh, I know this about myself. I give I give good advice. Yeah. I'm not very good at being my own advisor because there's whole parts of my life I can't see because I'm inside it. But when I'm helping somebody else, I have the gift of objectivity. Yeah. I can I can give you pretty good advice. Yeah. And so even though I'm calling another guy who's an idiot, he's not me. Right. Right. Yeah. It's the best gift that he's got. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's one thing I was telling Trey yesterday is that for me in a Silas relationship, a lot of times I'll have a guy reaching out to me yeah. about something I feel like I haven't even begun to deal with in my own life. Right, right. But when I speak to him about it, <laughs> I've got all this clarity. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and it's amazing. And, yeah. And it, it actually helps me by helping him. Absolutely. You know? Christmas night, typing up messages, no end in sight. She got three pictures and an overbite, and the way she write, well, she ain't bright. Ah, what the heck, having a person view? She got cute frecks and a text of blue. Well, that means I'm messaging an iPhone too. Give me 20 minutes, know what I'll do. I'll meet her on the Ave, in my Rav, let the tree see Santa, have a laugh. Getting stopped by kids for my autograph. Happy ever till seven, so my tab is half. Santa saying ho, got me thinking it's a message. Can't pretend to know, but I'm conscious about the wreckage. Double duck perspective. Check my front direction, not trying to make mistakes, cause things are kinda festive. Matching with the ladies on the dating app. Check the kinda shady. It's a trap. Got shaking with the gravy. Hammers on the map, Christmas dinner plans for the fam. It's a trap. Matching with the ladies on the dating app. Check the kinda shady. It's a trap. Got shaking with the gravy. Hammers on the map, Christmas dinner plans for the fam. It's a trap. <laughs> I mean, what do you take away to do? What did you think I would do? Eve, got that letter G, intense and smoke quality mysteries. Who takes a first date out to a church? I do, fool, that's just how I work. Get out the church, you're gonna get some grub. Look for tacos with a spicy rub. All pastor, now you're in trouble. Turn taco chino to an impromptu club. Christmas on the dance floor, you know I'm acting tough. All them little gangsters gotta show me love. Pranksters and drinkers and fluffed in mugs. Do rapper, baby, dear, do your sister cups. Things are going great, but she started getting weird. She pulling at my fingers, tugging on my beard. She bit me on my hunch and said, Here's the thing, it's the deuce of Ferris made of the mountain. Check the kind of shady. It's a trap. 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 Check the kind of shady. Hammers on the map. Chris's dinner plans for the fam. It's a 
know, you talked about the guys in, 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 in kind of the, the addicts of, of different kinds are, are drawn to Samson group. Yeah. One of the things that I found in my experience with Samson, and maybe you could speak to this, is that the most common symptom that I would see in men, and you spoke about this in your book regarding the, the sort of the revelation you had regarding having six guys to carry your casket yeah. of being a real relationship, that the most common symptom that I found that, that we had commonality, even bigger than sexual addiction or sexual issues, was loneliness yeah. and isolation. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely at the core of it. And I think, espe- I mean, espe- yeah. we, I, we were built for intimacy. We are a communal species. And I think, as a Christian, uh, that that is part of our being uh, made in the image of God, that God himself is relational. So we Christians have this crazy idea that there, that God is a we, that there's this Trinitarian reality, right. and that he's, and that, that this communal God has created us to be in community with him and with each other. And we're never complete and we're never fully happy until we're connected. Mm. And we come into this world connected. We're connected to a, a mother. In fact, it takes us a while. Developmental psychology will tell us that, you know, in those early few, uh, a year or two of a child's life, um, the, the, the idea that they're separate still has not sunk in. Mm. Um, which is why peekaboo, the game of peekaboo, is so fascinating. Um, uh, a part of me went away. Oh, oh, it's back. <laughs> went away. It's back, right? Uh, uh, but, but, but as we mature, we individuate. And as we break away from our parents in our teenage years, we individuate further. And we try then to connect with peers because uh, it's terrifying to be alone. So we want to identify with peers. We'll make those connections. But we still feel lonely there because those peer groups can be very cannibalistic and sure. and, and it's, it's a very it's be really the tough place. Oh yeah, it's yeah. a dominance hierarchy, yeah. right? So we're fighting for a place there, and you and and you're trying to perform, behave to get acceptance, and meanwhile, so so the unacceptable parts go into the darkness, and so there you're very, and then and then when you meet that other person. And suddenly this magical thing happens. I think it's a trick that God plays on us to, to get us to make irrational, lifelong promises to each other. Uh, <laughs> um, your ego boundaries collapse and you find your, uh, your cosmic twin, right? This, this, and, and you, for a moment, you don't even see any differences. I mean, Ali and I, well, I thought I had met my cosmic twin. Mm. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, later on when the pink cloud lifted and I realized that I had not only married someone of the opposite sex, I'd married someone apparently of an entirely different species. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God we we are friends, okay, but still there are things I need that my wife can never give me that I can only get from another man. And there are things that my wife needs that I can't give her. She needs, we all need to be part of a larger community, which is why, um, you know, this, this, this Disney idea that's sold to us by Hollywood, that you don't need anybody else. All you need is to find that one person who will complete you. Right. Is bullshit. Yeah. And couples that buy it, die. Or they go into just small delusion.
mouth off shoes Rocking those flip flops, relaxing with the homies, mocking whack hip hop Together feeling lonely, we some lone gunmen We on that next tip, making fun of Mike, cause he's talking about some you a ship Sleep deprived, never stop nor arrive We're all some broken people, but we trying to survive We'll be up in this place, until the whole thing closes Axl Rose's flavor flave. he's dressed in guns and roses Barefoot, skateboards, true blonde, longboards Lying on the sand, and hearing all the chords Cicadas making songs, everything belongs Peel the freckles from our shoulders and push shit along Thought of things I should've said, said things I shouldn't say I missed the hell out of that girl, but it's gonna be okay richer life so you know my life is it's really helped my, my it's enriched my entire life to be part of Samson my wife feels like she's got I'm 20 30 40 50 uh, brothers-in-law yeah and she doesn't have to kick my ass anymore <laughs> because she knows they will yeah she knows that they look out for her yeah. as they look out for me yeah um, that's got to be a relief for it is <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I, I firmly believe that that's how we were made to live. Yeah. And the Samson Society exists just to kind of facilitate that. Yeah. One of the things uh, you talked about this, this weekend um, was porn. Yeah. And you described it as a dragon. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about why you describe it that way. I really do think that uh, porn in its present form, and you know, we've always had porn. Sure. 
but uh, the power of uh, we, the more we understand about the brain, we the more we understand that those moving images with sound, um, the limbic system, the deeper part of our brain where the pleasure centers are located, uh, cannot distinguish that from real reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, as our skill in creating virtual experience advances, and virtual reality porn is already with us, not widely distributed yet, right. but that's just months away. Uh, with close? Oh, yeah. Wow. The sensory suits that are being built so that when the imaginary girl licks you, you feel it. Mm. That's on That's on the horizon. That's crazy. Uh, the, the sex robots. Here's about, man, you know, wives are complicated creatures. Yeah. Uh, and hard to predict what they're going to do and how they're going to respond. Boy, if you could replace her with a programmable woman... Holy, no wonder the appeal of sex robots. Yeah. Um, The fact that porn has gone mainstream uh, and it has become, uh, this fiction has become generally accepted that porn is harmless or even beneficial. When it is actually, um, here's the thing, Uh, in sexual arousal, and in climax, our brain is flooded with uh, chemicals, including, for example, oxytocin, the, the bonding chemical. That is the chemical that's released in a mother and an infant during breastfeeding, mm. or when an infant is being soothed. Yeah. We do know that um, Infants who are not held and cared for and coddled and loved uh, never are able to de- attach. They have a detachment. Uh, if, if they're neglected completely, they die. Yeah. Just from inattention. Yeah. If they don't get enough attention, then for the rest of their lives, they're going to have a real problem attaching yeah. because a very deep message has been planted. Yeah. You don't matter. You don't belong, okay? Yeah. Um, so, and uh, that is the same chemicals released in the brain, um, okay, at orgasm. Whether, okay, whether that orgasm um, is with my wife or with a phantom, a virtual person who does not exist and who by the way was exploited in the formation of that film right okay right now over time I can bond with phantoms to the point where I lose my ability to bond with human beings Mm. or even to orgasm with a human being yeah do you think as we look at how culture has changed, and we talked about this at dinner the other yeah. night, about how culture has changed where people don't want to pick up the phone, they want to text. Right. Um, and that pornography is an option to have intimacy right. without running the risk of rejection. Right, sure. Yeah. So we're living in a culture that is increasingly, seemingly 
unwilling to go into places where they're vulnerable or to have opportunities for people to reject them and, right. and the internet and, and, and having opportunities to disconnect and yeah. have safer boundaries are really seemingly pushing people towards isolation yeah. and that authentic relationships and having face-to-face conversations or picking up the phone are such a, a not safe place that it, I can see where pornography has become this substitute because when in, in a real sexual relationship with another human being, you always have to face your fear of rejection, yeah. inadequacy, mm. yeah. Um, yeah. or you know, and there's inability to to have real connection. Yeah. Do you think that that fear and that you know taking the, pulling the camera back and yeah. looking at that is is a symptom, or do you think it's sort of come from the, the pornographic need? I think there's a symbiotic relationship. I think porn creates the fear, which drives the porn, which creates more fears. Sure. Mm. Makes sense. And I just saw a study yesterday. I mean, there's an alarming rise in anxiety in uh, in adolescence. Mm. Alarming rise. I think it's tied directly to the almost universal use of pornography these days sure. by adolescents, male and female. Wow. Yeah. So this so this strikes at the very roots of culture. Um, in order for me to grow up to be as healthy and stable and balanced as possible, as confident as possible, I'm going to have to have someone who can pay attention to me and care for me, who knows how to somebody who knows how to connect emotionally. Sure. I, I should have um, that connection modeled for me by caring parents. Yeah. If if um, pornography is destroying our capacity to form a committed lifelong relationship, caring relationship with another person, and to connect, then what kind of what kind of oh, the implications are just enormous. Yeah. So this is the dragon, the great. This is the dragon of our time, in my opinion. Yeah. It. it it could bring, I mean, I, I hate to be, you know, apocalyptic, but let us not uh, under, we can't close our eyes to the enormity of this threat. Yeah. We got to do something about it. Have you guys already talked a little bit, I came in a little bit late to the podcast, yeah. regarding the statistics about erectile dysfunction and how that no, shift has no, changed from talk you want me talk about the yeah, 2001 to that, that, that was fascinating okay. in yeah. terms of... We yeah, the same word. Yeah, fascinating. fascinating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fascinating. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so let's go over this. Let's go over this real quickly. Yeah. I mean, there. Are, so far, there have been thirty-seven controlled studies, peer-reviewed papers published on the effects of pornography, all reaching essentially the same conclusion. <laughs> it's dangerous shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We've summed it up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> all right. So, so just to pick one. Uh, there is a global study that's done uh, on a 10-year cycle called the Global Study of Sexual Attitudes and Behavior, the GSSAB. It was uh, run in 2001, again in 2011. Um, included in that study is our six questions that together form up something called the International Index of Erectile Function, the IIEF. Yeah. (laughs) Now that's this is not the first time that the IIEF uh, has been measured. 
uh, and as for as long as it's been done, that index has consistently shown that among males uh, 40 and under, 2% have suffered from some form of erectile dysfunction. Mm. That's been a pretty constant number, right around 2% always. And in 2001, the IIEF was 2% for males 40 and under. Between 2001 and 2011, when the study was done the next time, and this is a huge study, more than 23,000 subjects in dozens of wow. countries around the world. Yeah. Uh, two uh, uh, kind of world-changing events happened. First of all, in September of 2006, the first porn tube site came online which did a number of things. First of all, it completely disrupted the porn industry Yeah. because now that users could upload homemade porn and pirated porn, uh, that took the profit, the enormous profit out of it. And, and, yeah. and the profit of the porn, uh, profitability of the porn companies, producers plunged and they're still trying to recover, which is why they're investing so heavily in virtual reality porn right. because that's something that amateurs can't compete sure. in. Sure. And it's much more powerful and much more. Once they get you hooked on VR porn, and I'll tell you what, if video porn is cocaine, VR porn is meth. And you are, uh, it's just incredibly dangerous. And once you get hooked on that, you'll pay whatever yeah. they charge. Yeah. So that's what they're banking on. Okay, so it disrupted the porn industry. The other thing that... Um, that it did was it made made it possible for the first time to view porn without downloading it. So now I can just flip from uh, from experience to experience to experience. And the insidious nature of tube porn is that I'm not really hooked on sex. I'm hooked on novelty. Right. And here's the so once I'm hooked on novelty, I'm never really interested for very long in the same. Mm -hmm. scene or the same person mm -hmm. I have to go to the next one now I can marry the most beautiful woman in the world guess what she's only one woman yeah she's only one woman and I'm hooked now on novelty yeah okay so 2006 September 2006 first tube site comes out June 30th 2007 the iPhone is introduced oh yeah hard to believe it's only been a little over 10 years the iPhone comes out quickly, uh, versions of it proliferate. Within just a few years, everybody's got a screen. Everybody has a screen. Yeah. And that screen is a porn theater. Yeah. The next time the study is done, in 2011, the rate of erectile dysfunction for males 40 and under has jumped from 2% to 28%. It's incredible. Subsequent studies have proven consistently that those are accurate results. In fact, the rate of dis sexual dysfunction continues to climb. On a 2014 study of Canadian men who use porn seven hours a week or more, so that's an hour a day, yeah, 75% reported sexual dysfunction of one kind or another. More than 30% could not achieve climax without porn. So that is tweaking our sexuality. Yeah. And even if a woman never looks at porn, look at what it does now to her self-esteem because mm -hmm. say she's 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 got a partnership. Here's yeah. what I know about my wife. I am the biggest mirror in her life. 
you know, the question that she, you know, so I wait for an hour for her to get ready for us to go out. Okay. Okay. And she finally comes out of the bathroom and she looks at me. Yeah. And she doesn't say it out loud, but the question she asks is, how do I look? Yeah. And what she needs to hear from me is, you look gorgeous. Yeah. Right? And if I don't see her, if I don't notice her, if I'm just, what the hell, why did it take you so long, let's go. If I look past her, that is crushing. Now, if I lose sexual interest in her, because I'm bonded to phantoms, what does that do to her self-image? And and let's wind it back to the 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old girl with a district who cannot get the attention of the boys. And by the way, I'll tell you what, this is having a huge effect on dating, on on pursuit. Unfortunately, it's become more about uh, you know seduction and conquest than anything else. Yeah. Uh, and it's become, flirting has become highly sexualized now among adolescents. So, uh, you know, the way that a middle school girl now can show that she likes a guy. I mean, this this is it. This is hard to believe that this is true, but this is true. So it is to, uh, uh, you know, he says, if you like me, send me a picture of your boobs. Right. Right? Yeah. Boom. Stop. Now we're going to college, and we don't have to date anymore because we, uh, we got Tinder. Yeah. We can just uh, swipe right. So the average college student, now this was a couple of years ago, I don't know the most recent study. The average college, the average college student had eight anonymous sex partners by the time they graduated. Not sex patent partners, anonymous sex partners. Where I don't even know the name. It's just, we swipe right, you knock on the door, we do the deal, you leave. We talked about the study with the erectile dysfunction. Yeah. And this is a secular study, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, pulling the camera back of, of our worldview within the Christian context yeah. and, and the need for a savior and, and how that plays into our life and our approach and our looking at this subject, yeah. I assume that we're seeing too in our culture that those who don't have a faith base or a, or a frame of, of, of reference for faith yeah. are now recognizing that you can't argue with these numbers, that statistics do not lie, that, that within secular culture there is now an incredible recognition oh. that, that, that there are dangers in pornography oh, yeah. and it's no longer in a secular context about quote-unquote morality. But but this is this is a it's about this sanity. Is a, this is a problem that is happening. Sure, go to the NoFap subreddit, yeah. right? What what is it? Uh, okay, so uh, if you go to Reddit, go to this, go to NoFap, N-O-F-A-P, okay. NoFap dot subreddit dot. Okay. You'll find a whole huge community of people. <laughs> wow. Who said this is killing us? I got to stop. Yeah. Uh, and they'll there's lots of interesting information there about resetting them. Now, here's the here's the good news. The good news is that we have an amazing self-healing brain. Uh, You know, the term is neuroplasticity. We have the capacity to create new neural connections and build new neural pathways until the day we die. We never lose the capacity to learn. Now, the neural pathways that we've built using pornography, for example, are are never going to entirely disappear. But if we build new pathways, and abandon the old ones, 
the old ones over time do wither. They can reactivate at any moment if we go back down. Sure. Uh, but we can build new ones. And uh, it's just, so we can actually reset the arousal template. We can actually reset the brain, but it cannot be done without periods of abstinence. Yeah. Um, here's the amazing thing. It, the longer I got sober from porn, the more beautiful my wife became. I was married to a beautiful woman all that time. And I didn't know it because I allowed the pornographers to uh, define my what, beauty for me and my arousal template was set and reinforced on a daily basis by the porn I was watching. And I did not see and could not affirm the beauty of my wife. Yeah. You get, you get me, as I got some distance, 30 days, 90 days, six months, and began to build new neural pathways and recover my sight. Um, I have begun to, you know, I began then to see once again that God had given, God's given me a beautiful woman. And I could see it and say it with conviction in a way that convinced, because I'll tell you what, my wife lost any confidence that she was attractive. Mm. Because I didn't see it and I wasn't able to tell her. And I'm the biggest mirror in her life. Right. You know, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about this this, this subject of adolescents are affected, yeah, yeah, um, and and the model that teenage girls are going to in terms of their need yeah. for validation. Um, I thought it might be worthwhile to talk a little bit about something that Jamie and I know nothing about because we don't have any kids, but the role of a father yeah. and, and the need of of adolescent both boys and girls, but yeah. predominantly as we talk about a, a woman's need to know from her father or from her significant other that I see you, that yeah. you're seen and that you are lovely. Yeah. Um, are we seeing too that, that there are trends, or I guess to rephrase it, that fathers really should have a, a better awareness of this this hardwiring within their, their young yeah. daughters yeah. to be that voice you know, as is appropriate in that time that they are seen and that they're lovely to establish some foundational things for young women to yeah. help them not be as as vulnerable to what, what yeah. culture is, uh, is speaking to them? Yeah. I think it's 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 amazing. Um, yeah, a, a, a woman needs to hear uh, from a man, from her father, uh, that she is uh, beautiful, worthwhile, um, uh, that she is seen and known and valued. And it has to be more than physical beauty. Mm, yeah. Because here's the deal. Um, pornography teaches us to objectify the human form. And, uh, and a, a lot of it's... My, I, I saw an article recently that... Um, I think the most commonly used genre of porn is uh, comes under the heading teen porn. And the second highest is uh, incest porn. So even though it's not real, so so it's this uh, staged sure. incest, okay, which sexualizes a relationship between a parent and a child. Right. Um, when a father can uh, here, from my own personal experience, here's what I think happened: is my daughter moved from childhood 
into young adulthood as she hit puberty and began to blossom as a woman. I was so terrified, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to sexually abuse an underage person, much less my daughter. Yeah. Right. Um, that I, the, a lot of the physical closeness that she had experienced when she was younger, and even the emotional closeness, because I was afraid of crossing a line, I wouldn't go anywhere near it. Right. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, the mistake that other fathers do whose brains are desensitized by form the only thing they know to compliment about their daughter or to shame right. is their physical appearance right so there are fathers who actually say putting on a little weight there honey mm. I'll tell you what a woman will carry that for decades yeah kill her or the opposite can be equally damaging the only affirmation she gets is for physical appearance right She'll spend the rest of her life so focused on physical appearance and trying to gain value from that yeah. that it can be soul-killing. What mm. we need to be able to do is we need to be able to connect emotionally, not just with our spouse, but with our children. So we can affirm. I mean, a, a woman needs to know that she's physically attractive, and we need to be able to say, you're beautiful. Yeah. But it needs to go beyond that. That beauty runs really deep. And we need to be able to connect emotionally so that you don't have to go and, and, and fill that legitimate need for connection some other way. Pleasure, lust, and greed. Go away, I can't take you. I don't think our love is true. I'm not sure I'm married.
took our vows anew. appreciate you being on we yeah. need to wrap things up um real quickly can you give us a couple resources beyond like the reddit one that some people maybe yeah look up? uh especially for younger people fight the new okay uh that's another uh it's non-religious uh scientific it's science and stories okay at fight the so you can get some of the some of the rate uh people of faith i highly recommend uh a book called The Porn Myth okay. by Matt Fradd, F-R-A-D-D. One of the best summaries of uh, the, it, it, he really just piece by piece by piece by piece will break down the commonly uh, accepted myths about pornography. Okay. And there's not a Bible verse in the book. Okay. Okay. He's a devout, <laughs> okay. He's a devout uh, Christian and it's uh, published by a Catholic pre- press, but it's okay. heavily footnoted with an extensive appendix and it's science and stories. So, the, so Matt Fred's book, I highly recommend. All right, can we can we plug your books? Yeah, what sure. Do you got? Uh, well, uh, Samson and the Pirate Monks, okay. Calling Men to Authentic Brotherhood, and I did uh, recently put out uh, a shorter book, an ebook that's free right now from the website discipleship.com, and it's called Beyond Accountability: The Life Changing Power of Authentic Friendship. Great. Any uh, websites or socials that you want to plug? Sure. Uh, SamsonSociety.org or .net or .com. Oh, good. <laughs> okay. You got them all. Yeah. We'll get you... Uh, that site is still under, still under construction. We're going to roll out a brand new site probably by the end of November 2017. Uh, perhaps as late as 1st of January 2018. But uh, on that new site, you will be able... You'll have the opportunity to actually attend... A virtual meeting of the Samson Society. Okay. Okay. The, the same awesome. screen where you can find porn, you can find brotherhood. <laughs> uh, That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, if you decide to join the Samson Society, you'll then be able to to uh, activate the Samson app, which will make it possible for you to connect with anybody you've been in a meeting with, and uh, and start to have a daily conversation. Awesome. Trey, is there anything you want to plug? Yeah. No. Okay. Good. I'm just hanging right. out with you fellas. Well, uh, I can be found on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, Bandcamp, at Royal Ruckus or at Royal Ruckus Official. I'm not going to lay out which ones. you got to figure that out on your own. Okay. Uh, appreciate you guys being on here with me. Um, this is Bruise Beards and Shipwrecks. I'm Jamie Bennett. I'm Nate Larkin. Trey Jones. And the very last thing we're going to end with is, Nate, what is your favorite rap song? 
Oh, I'll tell you. <laughs> I go old school, old school. Yeah. Rap before it was rap. White rap. This okay. is uh, the streak. The streak by Ray. Ray. Come on. Oh, uh, you had it earlier. I did. I <laughs> knew it was. Hey, oh, come on. <laughs> by Ray. Stevens. Ray Stevens. <laughs> All right. Okay, Ray Stevens. All right, we're going to end with Ray Stevens. This is The Streak. The Streak. The Streak. The Streak. All right. Boogie Dad, Boogie Dad. Boogie Dad, Boogie Dad. There seems to have been some disturbance here. Pardon me, sir, did you see what happened? Yeah, I did. I was just in here trying to get some air in my car there, and he disappeared out of the traffic. Come streaking around the grease right there. Didn't have nothing on but a smile. Ethel's in there getting her a cold drink. I hollered in there. I said, don't look at Too late. She done been mucked. Flashed her right there in front of the shock absorbers. Boogie day, boogie day. Boogie dad, boogie dad. Well, yes, they call him the street. Like to turn the other cheek. He's always making the news, wearing just his tennis shoes. Guess you could call him unique. Hello, once again, everyone. Your action news reporter in the booth at the gym, covering the disturbance of the basketball playoff. Pardon me, sir. Did you see what happened? Yeah, I did. It's half time. I was just going down there to get Ethel a snow cone. Here he come, right out of the cheap seats. Right down the middle of the court there. Didn't have nothing on but his high-top Reeboks. He was a-dribbling. Made a jump shot and got out through the concession. I hollered up at Ethel. I said, don't look at the... Too late, she done got a free shot. Grandstanded her right there in front of the home team. Oh, yes, they call him. Is that you, Ethel? Where do you think you're going? His